Welcome back to the Balancing Act podcast, everyone. I'm Andy Tempty. On the Balancing Act, we talk to business leaders and industry experts to explore the balancing acts we play in our professional lives and learn about the events that put rocket boosters behind their career success. Today, we have Pam Sherman joining us. Pam is the president of Sherman Edge and is focused on providing customized programs in leadership, communications, business development, and storytelling using her proprietary Edge principles, which are explore, dream, grow, and excite. Welcome to the show, Pam. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we're we're gonna we're gonna have a a great time today, and I'm sure a lot of value is going to be added uh, for our our listeners. But as we always do, Pam, please tell our listeners your story. Well, my story is a balancing act, um, but I'll start way back in the second grade when I dreamed of being an actor. And growing up, I would play piano with the door wide open hoping that a wandering talent agent would hear me sing and cast me on Broadway. Um, and I know that's making you chuckle because nobody actually does that. Uh, I came from a very traditional family, so being an actor was out of the question. And so I decided to go to law school because I thought it would be just like being a lawyer on TV, which it was not. And a funny thing happened on the way to that secure profession. My law firm went out of business. And full circle moment, I went back to being a full-time working actor in Washington, D.C. So after being profiled in People magazine as someone who ditched her day job to pursue her dreams, which you now know is not really the truth, the day job ditched me, I got a call and it was from a head of training at a government division asking me if I could help make her lawyers more interesting I said, no, it's not possible. <laughs> and, uh, and then in the end, I started thinking about what makes an actor believable to their audience. What makes you willing to suspend your disbelief, as we say, and follow them on a journey um, through who they are. And I realized that the messenger is as important as, as the message. And I was able to transform my career to helping leaders ignite their audiences and be who they are, wherever they are, in order to make an impact. And that's the work that I get to do now with leaders all over the world. Um, and there's some performance art in that as well. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm still stuck on uh, in the second grade, hoping that a quote unquote, wandering talent agent <laughs> would just kind of, uh, happen by, um, that, that is, that is just, that is so cute. The dreams of a child, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I have another quick, uh, really quick question before we go on what, uh, tapping into your acting, what's mm -hmm. the, what, what's like the most favorite thing you did, uh, when, when you were acting as an actor, it's so interesting. I, I would say, uh, I, I people know me for a very small clip on in the replacements, a movie with Keanu Reeves and Gene Hackman, uh, where I play a shocked mom. I had no lines, but I had a credit and I was in the trailer. Um, so if you Google the replacements and Google, um, well, if you Google sexy cheerleaders, I'm not one of them. Uh, it's a great movie, but I would say, honestly, mostly stage work, um, yeah. the, the joy of being the immediacy of being with an audience, that electric feeling of yeah. you never know what's going to happen. Um, so I would say stage work, uh, is, was by far the work I love the most. And most recently I returned to the stage after almost 13 years playing an idol of mine, a woman named Irma Bombeck, oh. 
and doing a one woman show about this iconic columnist who a lot of people don't know her story. Um, She was the most prolific columnist of her time, sharing the stories of women whose stories wouldn't otherwise be told. Women who work in the home. So she just was um, a hero, but to stand on stage and play, try to embody her and go back and relive the lessons I learned as an actor really has helped me even retool my business and bring those techniques back to all the leaders that I work with today. Yeah. As an educator, I'm also a performer and a musician and uh, the intersection between those two things is, uh, is, is very strong. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll have to look up your credit shocked mom in, uh, in, in the replacements. <laughs> in replacements. That's cool. Uh, Pam, if you had to pick one event in your life that just put rocket boosters behind your career, what would that be? So interesting. I would say it was that day that the law firm shut down. You know, I was on a, at a traditional path. I was successful associate at what I thought was a successful law firm. And, you know, when the partners decided that they didn't want to continue anymore, it really had to, I I had defined myself by that role that I played. And I'll never forget lying on the floor of our house that we had just bought and wailing at the ceiling. And I was holding my very expensive leather briefcase in one hand and a stapler that I had taken from the office because, well, they didn't need it anymore and wondering what was going to come next. And I think, you know, as we go through difficult times and overcome them, we can learn that, you know, we have all the tools and skills that we need within us to make a contribution to the world. And you have to tap into that. And that, that was probably the, really the seminal moment of my life and making that leap, um, to become an actor. Like I didn't even think I could make a living at it. And it was, um, it's taught me, it taught me so much. And I couldn't do what I do without having been both a lawyer and an actor, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Out of the frying pan into the fire. Those are, uh, those are typical, those are very uh, good accelerant uh, moments. Do you still have the stapler? I do. (laughs) I was going to look for it. It's right behind me in my uh, cabinet. The ill-gotten booty from from your experience as a lawyer. That's really cool. I've never given it away because, uh, first of all, it's a good solid stapler. But most important, uh, it's a reminder to me that you can get through anything, right? Um, That 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 moment in time is merely a moment in time. And, And I think, you know, as we go through yet another contraction in the workforce, um, people will have those challenging moments. And I always say, you will be fine. You will get through this. You have way more at your own fingertips and within you than you can imagine. Yeah. Let the human in you shine and uh, great things are going to come from that. Uh, exactly. Let's, uh, let's talk about balance. Uh, we're going to mm. tap into your experience with uh, your program, the Sherman Edge. During your yes. consulting engagements with Sherman Edge, you've worked with myriad CEOs and senior executives, giving yes. you a bird's eye view over the C-suite If you had to choose the most important balancing act that members of the C-suite play generally, what would that be? I think they have to realize that, you know, each one of them represents a function within the organization. And I'm a big ascriber to what Patrick Lencioni calls team one. 
And so I would say the number one linchpin is they have to trust each other and they have to respect each other and they have to make decisions together as team one. They can't be thinking about their fiefdoms or their segment. Um, and I see that so much, um, you know, often I'm brought in because, well, we're siloed or we're not effective decision makers because everybody's um, protecting their own turf. And so to me, I just hear that and I'm like, well, do you trust each other? Well, of course we trust each other. But are you showing up in a way where you really know each other and trust comes from knowing each other intimately, knowing what it means to feel safe with each other? And I would say the number one thing would be trust. Yeah. Yeah. Ba balancing that, uh, the, the team one concept that we've got to be uh, unified with the fact that those fiefdoms do, uh, they, they do exist. And I, I just... When you said when you said the answer was oh of course we trust each other, uh, yeah, always. <laughs> I'm like really okay let's let's dig into that a little bit more and then by the time you get done digging, uh, I guess we really don't. <laughs> well, and do we really even know each other? Right. I get that a lot too. I mean, I work with teams that have worked together for years and years and years, and then I'll come in and do um, communications exercises that are built on building trust. Yeah. And it, it, it's amazing what they learn yeah. or that they haven't understood that the personal, the human is as important as I, you know, I trust that your credibility, I trust your integrity, but what does that really mean and look like? And, um, how do I know you as a person? Because ultimately you're not, you know, you're not your function. Uh, I always say you're not your role. You are a human being yeah. and you all have to know each other well. So often I'm told, well, these are soft skills and they're not important or we don't have time. And there's a little bit of mistrust of me coming in. Ugh. And by the time I'm done, they, I, I love the aha moments where people get it and they're, it's a really enriching experience. And they have to turn that into a process by which they can, it can be repeatable and they can in, and really ingrain it into the, how they uh, interact with each other. Yeah, I was that I was that leader who thought mm -hmm. that soft skills uh, didn't didn't matter to uh, business results, and boy, yeah. was I wrong. Um, let, let's uh, <laughs> let's narrow the scope of the previous question just to the chief executive officers that you've worked with. Is the answer uh, different? Not except there is a. I guess one aspect of it, obviously a chief executive officer has to build trust. People have to know them, but I also think their job is to get to know, to be a great listener. And uh, obviously you want them to be chief energizing officer, chief evangelist officer, you know, all the ease that you can think of chief experience officer. Yeah. But I, I actually think the best thing they can do is to don't make it about them. Um, it really has to be, you know, the best CEOs, it is not about them at all. It's about everyone else, meaning their focus is about how can I make a difference for you? What can I do to pave the way for you to be successful? And then get out of your people's way. Maybe we should make, call it the chief empowerment officer. Yeah. And that would be the, the thing that they need to do. That's the thing they need to amp up as much as possible. Yeah, that that all for chief executives and really anybody that's uh, rising in an organization, balancing that ego that uh, 
you know, that, uh, that has both positive and negative aspects that got you to where you are and being able to set that aside and really focus on growing the people around you and recognizing as, uh, my, my dear friend, Amir Ganad, uh, says in his practice, uh, I am the one and it's not about me. Uh, that that's his, uh, that's his famous quote. And if I can, uh, that's a beautiful quote. Yeah. I think Frances Fry in, in her book about leadership said, and it just, my heart sang when I saw it, because it's really interesting. Actors are taught. It's not about you. Uh, the best actors are actually reacting to the other. And so, you know, to make that analogy, that metaphor to acting techniques, um, we learn and, you know, you think actors are all about ego, right? But you always hear, oh, he was so generous. He really listened to me. What a great reactor he was. Um, and I think that's, we value that in the end, it is not about me, the actor. It's about what I can do to unleash you, the other character, the other actor, and the audience. That's the most important person in the room to take you on a journey that inspires, engage, and empowers you to, other, to greater possibilities. Yeah. So before we uh, go to a quick commercial break, uh, let's look at the arc of your career as a storyteller and leadership consultant. What's that key balancing act that you've played that's had a direct impact on your success? It was so interesting because I think it's really about focus. I, I love, I get energy from being with people and I'm asked to do a lot of different things. But then I had to realize, well, I'm good at really one thing. <laughs> and uh, it is helping people um, igniting their presence and igniting their ability to impact others with who they are. Now, you could fit in a lot of categories into that. Sometimes it's called energy leadership. Sometimes it's called leadership presence. Uh, but I learned, I had to learn what I wasn't. I am not the presentation skills coach. I'm not going to be the um police or tell you how to hold a pencil. I have no interest in doing that there are other people who are very good at it. I want to unleash your possibilities or ignite your possibilities, as I call it. And to me, being able to focus on that, that really is my balancing act. Because I would say yes to everything, Andy. Right, <laughs> That's, right. Uh, right? Because I love people. Um, there's a lot of people who teach storytelling, but to me, the story has to be told for the listener. So you have to be able to perform the story. So that gets back to the same, all the same things focusing my ability to have my audience ignite others with who they are. Yeah. Well, let's take a really quick commercial break. We'll be right back with Pam Sherman. Thank you. I'm Andrew Tempty. The alignment of personal purpose with that of the business we lend our talents to is essential to achieving optimal work-life balance. But do you know what your personal purpose is? To help answer this crucial question, I've created a guidebook to help define your personal purpose and a vision statement to serve as your North Star. Visit andrewtempty.com purpose to download your free copy today. And we're back with Pam Sherman. We're talking about the balancing acts that leaders play. Uh, Pam, on this show, we talk a lot about lifelong learning. Can you help us understand your personal journey of lifelong learning when you first realized that learning never stops? And how does the concept of balance play into an individual's journey to become a lifelong learner? Oh, I, I think... That is the, it's the fulcrum by which the balance is created. 
because everything we want to know has been written about or is out there in some form that, you know, that we can have access to. That is the beauty of the world we live in right now, right? right. Um, so for me, it's so interesting. When I left the practice of law, first thing I wanted to do was go back and get an MFA in acting. Uh, I, I remember telling my husband, I'm going to apply to Yale. I, you know, I had this, and he said, but wait, you're acting. I don't understand. You're already doing it. Why do you need to do that? And I, there was this great quote, and it, I think it applies to lifelong learning. I don't remember who said it. I think I ascribe it often to Martha Graham. Mm. And she said, oh, if the stage were as thin as a tightrope, so people would learn to how to traverse it with care. Meaning I wanted to go back and learn how to be a great actor. So I actually went back and started taking acting classes while I was still a lawyer. And that's where I really discovered, that's where I started to regain my confidence because I thought I had to act like a lawyer. Instead, I learned I had to act like me. Right. Um, I went, when I started my company, I said, oh, I need to become a certified leadership coach because, you know, that's what you need to do. Um, and instead, I just started reading some incredible books about coaching and learning how to be a better listener. And I call myself an autodidact because um, all these books have actually been read. They are, you know, um, they're really important to me. These are the most important books that I've taken with me throughout my life. And I think uh, we have to commit to being lifelong learners because you can always change. My mother practiced, um, she was a psychoanalyst, Andy, and she went back. She was an educator. She was a teacher and she wanted to become a psychoanalyst. And in her 50s, she earned her degree and she practiced until she was 86 years old. Wow. And I knew on the three days that she saw patients, I didn't have to worry about her because she was sitting in a very confined place. She'd be safe. And I was so proud of her for doing that. So to me, I'm very excited about continuing that journey. And, you know, as I, um, you know, as I embark upon, you know, the back half of my, you know, the back nine, uh, I feel like I have a lot to offer. There's, um, there's a great book about this. Um, Chip Conley wrote called a wisdom at work. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Um, I'm proud enough to be in it, um, because where he nice. talks about people transitioning to different careers and more people have written about me than I've written a book, but that is, um, uh, and, and, it, and it really is special. He's looking at how we can create lifelong learning opportunities for the, for our whole life. You never have to stop. Yeah. I, uh, thanks for the golf analogy because you can play your best golf on the back nine. And that's what, Thank you. that's what I hope, uh, to do. I've, I've done some awesome things during my career, but I, I, I'm looking forward to the, the to the best is yet to come, and I'm sure it's yet to come for uh, for you as well. Absolutely, um, Pam. We we also frequently discuss the balancing act that we must play between the application of technical skill and human skill in the modern world of work. We've been talking a lot about human skill here. Uh, we're going to tap into your experience as that recovering attorney clutching your uh, your, your fancy uh, brown bag and, and that stapler. Uh, if you had a law school grad in front of mm. you right now, what advice would you give them to balance human and technical skills as they begin to navigate their career? Well, it's so interesting because uh, I, I think, and it's I have two children who are consultants out in the world, and the technical skills that they need to know are, um, you know, they have to be highly capable of organizational skills, um, 
you know, adept at Excel and PowerPoint and all the other applications that you need to, um, you know, to be successful in the world today. But if they can't communicate well, if they can't sit on a Zoom call and, uh, and, and be themselves and feel comfortable uh, contributing, uh, all those technical skills can be pristine and perfect. Right. But we all know eventually, you know, a, a, an AI machine can generate them as easily as a person. The, the secret sauce to success ultimately for that young lawyer will be not the ability. Yes, they have to put out a lot of work. They have to, you know, I, I, I don't decry my seven years practicing. I think it taught me so much about how to organize my time. It taught me how to do research. It taught me how to hone in on arguments and how to, you know, um, <laughs> how to be a better writer. I mean, I think that's critical. Um, I, but I don't think I would have been at all successful if I didn't have the ability to build trust with my clients, be able to interact with all the different audiences that I had in that role. So, uh, you know, so, so you've got to have the technical skills, but ultimately the secret sauce that's going to make you, you is how you show up and communicate. Yeah. Uh, your, your role really as a relationship manager and all the things that, uh, that go, go into that. Thank, thank you for pointing you know, that it's out. It's also good judgment, you know, yeah. I mean, just can I, I remember one of the things I was most disappointed about when I left the practice of law was that I had left at the time when people were hiring me less for my technical skills than my advisory and good judgment that had been really honed over all the cases I had worked on over time. Right. You, you gain that with having some experience. Um, now I get to take that good judgment and bring it into my consulting and coaching work. And that comes from, you know, the coaching clients I've worked with, all the experiences that I've had. It goes back to your, not only is it lifelong learning, but it's lifelong skills development that you take and use in different ways um, in the different roles that you play. Yeah. So, uh, Pam, we're going to do a little thought experiment. Uh, mm -hmm. You have access to a time machine. You can send a 280-character uh, message to an earlier version of yourself. What is that message and what previous version of yourself do you choose to send it to? Well, I would send it to me as a young person. I love speaking to you know people starting out their careers. Um, and I, I, I think you know, Pam, that ill-fitting suit that you're wearing, both actually and metaphorically, <laughs> is a feeling that this doesn't fit for you, right. uh, the role that you're playing. And instead, if you could step back and actually recognize that, you know, your power doesn't lie within the title that you have or even the skills that you have, but within these innate things that are within you, and you could be more intentional and specific about pulling them out for your audiences then suddenly you're going to be more believable to yourself and to others. And, uh, you know, take off that terrible jacket with shoulder pads <laughs> out here um, and be yourself. Yeah. And uh, it's not about being authentic as a bludgeon, you know, to your audiences. Like, I'm so authentic, I'm going to be who I am. You still have to balance the needs and wants of your audiences. But, uh, but ultimately, be true to who you are and your audiences will follow. Yeah, I, I use the metaphor of uh, an emotional suit of armor that we 
put on and enter the enter the world of work and we don't let anybody uh, see who we who yes. we really are and yeah let's you know take off uh most if not all of that uh, emotional suit of armor and I was certainly surprised with the results that I got when I did. When you're able to show a team constructive vulnerability, uh, just what a great word! Wonderful things happen. Thank you for qualifying vulnerability because I think um, in many ways, oh, you're the person that's going to make us cry, Pam Sherman. I'm like, no, 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 that's not. I mean, that might be a byproduct, and I hope in a good way where you actually feel things. But all the, I love that constructive vulnerability because all the aspects of emotional intelligence that we all say we know have to, we have to pay attention to them. You have to be self-aware, you have to be um, relationally aware, you have to have social management and you have to have relationship management, right? You have to, you have to self-manage and you have to relationship manage. And I, and it, it isn't hard when you actually make it again, not about you but about how you can actually make a difference for others, which I think when you start moving outside of yourself in order to ignite and impact others, that's where success starts to happen. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the success that uh, you um, help build uh, within, within your clients. Tell us more about the Sherman Edge and what's next for you. Well, um, I, so I'm so lucky that I get to do programmatic work within companies, helping to grow leadership presence. You know, often I'll, I'll get called in for coaching engagement. Um, you know, they're really great, uh, but they need to get comfortable with themselves or, or we need to smooth out their edges. I get a lot of that. And I'm like, well, let's just shine them up. Your edges are great. Um, but you're not, you're not thinking about your audience and their needs. So I do coaching, consulting, facilitation, a lot of leadership retreats, taking leaders away out of their day-to-day environment where they're human doings instead of human beings and helping them to um, shift to that. And then, of course, keynote speaking, which I love because what a chance to reach larger audiences and change them. And then uh, consulting and working with teams to help them be better uh, presenters, storytellers, but more important, to grow their presence uh, and their energy with many others. But the next thing that I'm about to embark on is working on a book that brings us all together. And, and Andy, as the, uh, as the author of a very successful book, I'm really excited about uh, what we're doing. And we're going to really focus on what I call bridging the believability gap, um, which is the gap between how you believe in yourself and how you think you're supposed to act in a role and the gap on the other side where others um, don't believe you because you're not meeting their expectations and you're not paying attention to your audience's needs, wants, and concerns. So uh, my tentative title that I love is play you the role of a lifetime. And it's how acting techniques, you know, it's very surprising. People think that actors are faking it. Right. But my definition of acting comes from a great guru, Sanford Meisner, who said, Acting is the ability to live truthfully in given imaginary circumstances. And isn't that what we do every day in the workplace? We are given the circumstances we're given, and we're hoping that we can behave truthfully, believably, and creditably. Yeah. That is awesome. I, I, uh, I can't wait to read uh, your book once, 
once you get your proposal done and actually put uh, put pen to paper. Uh, a lot of great stories to tell, and I'm um, sure. and and I'm I'm so lucky that I got to I've gotten to work with incredible leaders like like you, and uh, uh, so that you know we could all see that we can energize our audience with who we are. We don't have to be one thing in in one place and another thing in the workplace. We have to. That's how confusing and hard is that. That's the balance. Be who you are wherever you are in order to ignite your audience, and what a gift that will be for teams and organizations, I believe. Yeah, it's just exhausting to be somebody who you are not. Right. Um, uh, yeah, I, I totally, totally get that. Uh, Pam, we're out of time. I really oh. appreciate uh, all of your contributions today. Please uh, let me know how uh, I can be of service to you in the future. Um, my name is Andy Tempty. This is the Balancing Act Podcast. You can find us on all the major streaming services. Uh, please like, subscribe, rate, share. We'll also be out on YouTube. Uh, again, thank you, Pam Sherman, uh, for your contributions today, and we'll see you next time. Thank you, Andy.